Welcome to SLP Money, an in-depth conversation for speech, language pathologists, and private practice owners on how to break through to the next level of your career and business. Join your host, Craig Goldslager, a financial advisor and certified exit planner, as he shares strategies and stories that will help you become more financially confident and better invest your time and money. You can learn more and stay up to date at utterlyfinancial.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of SLP Money. For all show notes and references to today's episode, please head on over to utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 10. Again, that's utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 10. Today, we're going to be talking about a personal finance topic or strategy that every SLP wants to talk about. And that, of course, is saving and planning for retirement. And often the number one thing that I hear from SLPs is that they feel as though they are behind on their savings for retirement. And they want to know ways that they can either catch up or improve that or retire sooner, or even if they'll be able to retire at all. So today, my goal is to break down with you several of the reasons why SLPs fall behind in saving for retirement. And before we get to that, though, I think it's important just to talk about retirement planning in general. And so the goal that most people have when they reach retirement is that they can either exit the workforce, plan on really doing whatever you want, right? You're no longer expected to show up for work every day. And you're able to do that because you're able to reproduce a paycheck and have an income even though you're not working. So when we talk about retirement income, it's broken down into three main components. One being fixed income, the second being variable income, and the third being additional or other income sources. So from my perspective, when most people talk about falling behind in retirement, they're talking about that second section, variable income, money that's going to be generated from an investment account or a portfolio of investments. When we talk about the other topics, something like fixed income, it's important to know that fixed income will be a component of your retirement. The primary source of this fixed income comes from something called social security income. So that tax that you pay on every single one of your paychecks, that goes towards funding the social security program. Once you reach the age of 62, you do have the eligibility to start claiming social security income, which is a fixed income, a paycheck you receive every month from the government. Now you have the option of claiming that at age 62. You can wait till your full retirement age which is dependent on the year in which you were born. For most people listening to this podcast, that means you were going to reach full retirement age sometime between age 65 and age 67. You also can wait until the maximum claiming age of 70. There is a benefit to waiting in that every year you wait from age 62 to age 70. On the current income scale, your Social Security payout will increase by 8% annually. So there is delayed gratification in waiting and knowing that your monthly income social security payment from the government increases by waiting. So another source of fixed income you may receive in retirement is something called a pension. If you're an SLP who works in the school districts or maybe your spouse works in the school districts or for a public government entity, maybe a firefighter or a police officer, if that's the case, they might be receiving a pension which again is an income stream from your employer, whether it's a city government or some other entity that provides that to you. It's important to know and be planning 
for retirement income, knowing if you have certain sources like that coming into your household. We'll talk now about other income sources. So just because you reach the goal of retirement, there's a popular term right now called semi-retirement. So just because you no longer want to go to the same school district or the same hospital setting every day, you might still want to work part-time. Maybe you can be a consultant or a professor at a local university and mentor other speech-language pathologists. If that's the case, you can still earn a part-time income, which means your retirement nest egg does not need to be as large as you perhaps were planning for it to be because you're still planning on generating income or working part-time. Another source of other income could be rental income. Perhaps you've had a second home, a vacation home that you and your family have procured during your working career. You've used it for vacation, but now as you retire or reach semi-retirement, you realize you only need one home and maybe you decide to rent this second home out. Well, that rental income can provide additional cash flow during retirement to help you reach that retirement income goal. So when you look at fixed income and you have your other income, the last component we'll spend the majority talking about today is that variable income, which is derived from investment accounts like a brokerage account or retirement accounts like a 401k, 403b. These specialized accounts that are created to help save for retirement. The number one question that I receive from SLPs regarding retirement is they want to know if they're on track to retire when they want to. And often they wonder, well, am I able to retire? How can I figure that out? If, am I able to retire in five years, 10 years, 20 years, ever? So I'd like to give you a very simple calculation to help determine whether or not you can retire. So for this example, I'm going to talk about someone who has no fixed income, they don't have a pension, and they're uncertain on what their social security will be. So we're going to say that that's zero as well in this instance. They also don't plan on working in the future, so they want no other income sources. So their only source of retirement income is going to be from the, the variable accounts, what they put into their 401k, their 403b, additional savings accounts on their own. To find out how much money you need in your variable account, we're going to use something called the 4% withdrawal rule, which is a measuring stick that many financial advisors will use for planning purposes. Essentially, it means you'll need 25 times your income on which you're looking for in retirement. So for example, if I want to live off of $50,000 in retirement, if I take that number and multiply it by 25 years, I know that I'm going to need a figure of $1.25 million in these various variable accounts like the 401k and other brokerage accounts. That has to be my pool of money for me to draw comfortably in retirement. Now, that number may change. Again, this is purely a hypothetical. This is just for benchmarking purposes. Everyone's own situation is individual, and this should not pertain to specific investment or calculations advice for you. But again, a general benchmark is to take whatever income you're looking for in retirement, multiply that by 25, and that will give you the amount that your variable income should be. So how do you determine how much you need to be saving and how to get to that 1.25 million in this example? Well, you need to realize there are three components to figure out that math. You'll take whatever amount you're able to save annually, let's call that an annual deposit, and you're gonna multiply that by some rate of return. So a rate of return, also known as interest, is something that is generated by investing dollars or capital into some type of investment vehicle. 
Perhaps it's a stock or a bond or a certificate of deposit, anything that can generate interest. So you take how much you can put away annually and you multiply that by the rate of return. And then you multiply that by a third number, which is the years until you want to reach that goal. So as long as you know three of the four components of that equation, again, the equation being the annual deposit times the rate of return times the year until your goal, that equals the required money you need in these various accounts. If you know three of those four variables, you can solve for the fourth one. So for instance, if you're comfortable putting $10,000 away into retirement accounts and you know you want to retire in 20 years and you know that you need $1 million, I know some of you are cringing as I'm talking about this example. I know most SLPs are not fans of doing the calculations and certain types of math. So what you're left with is a rate of return of 5% annually. So again, if you put $10,000 away for 20 years and need $1 million, you have to get a rate of return of 5%. So that means investing into various instruments that can produce that. So that sounds pretty simple, right? Just a simple mathematical formula to get to your goal. Well, again, today's episode titled Why Some SLPs Fall Behind in Saving for Retirement is because it's not so simple. Life happens, people fall behind, and they want to know all of a sudden how can they catch up or how can they get to that end goal of $1 million in in this example in their account and get to some retirement status. So there's several reasons why SLPs fall behind. And the number one reason from my perspective is the failure to prioritize financial goals. And so there's a reason personal finance is called personal. Every individual has to prioritize what's important to them financially. So for instance, maybe you wanted a bigger house to raise your family in, or you and your spouse like to drive a new car every few years. You take the family on annual vacations. You funded your child's education through childhood investment accounts. By investing or putting money towards other financial goals, it comes to the detriment of retirement. So not knowing what is of most importance is where some SLPs lack the savings dollars and fail to put them in the places that's most important to them. It doesn't mean that SLPs don't save. You might be saving 20, 25% of your income, but you again could be allocating it to other sources at the detriment of proper retirement planning. So that leads up to the second reason I think SLPs fall behind is that they don't have an overall plan. Every financial goal you have should be part of an overall structured financial plan. As your life changes, you might alter it and you might change certain goals, but without a final financial roadmap, how will you ever know where you need to go? So we talked about just that one equation to help figure out your retirement income. That's the equation you'll need to figure out any financial goal you have in life, whether it's saving for a down payment in a home, planning a vacation, paying off debt, whether it's student loan debt or a mortgage. You figure out how much you need to put towards the goal, what kind of rate of return you can earn, how long you have to reach the goal, And then you'll have the amount of money that you need to reach the goal. Again, you need three of those four variables to figure out the equation. Figuring out how retirement fits into that equation is unique to you individually. You may aspire to retire 20 years from listening to this episode. The SLP that works next to you in the hospital might want to retire in 10 years. So the person who wants to retire in 10 years needs to either save a lot more money, try and earn a greater rate of return on their money, but they need to get to that goal quicker. 
Another reason SLPs fall behind in savings and one of the ways to actually expedite that goal of saving for retirement is because they miss out on an employer matching program for their employer's retirement program. So if you work for an employer and they offer a matching program for their retirement plan and you're not participating in the retirement plan, you're missing a tremendous opportunity to increase your savings. So when we talk about employer-sponsored retirement programs, you may have heard of a 401k, which you might be invested in. If you work in the schools or a hospital, it might be a 403b. The, The benefit of working for an employer is if they have a retirement program with a matching plan. So essentially, a matching program works like this. If you earn $100,000 and the company offers you a 100% match on the first 3% of savings you put into their 401k plan, so you're saving $3,000 or 3% into the plan, the company will deposit an additional $3,000 into the plan. So your total retirement savings just became $6,000 And you don't even have to invest the money. You just have to save it into the retirement plan. So you might choose to put it into the guaranteed interest earning account, which has no market volatility. It's not a bond. It is essentially a savings account. By putting your 3% or $3,000 into the account, the company is going to match $3,000. So you magically doubled your money just by participating. You have to read your employer's handbook, find out if they offer a matching plan, what the criteria are. Sometimes it's they'll match 50% on the first 6% of contributions or 8% or the first 100% of 5%. If you have the goal of saving for retirement and you have the financial capacity to save for it, you need to take advantage of something like an employer match program if you work for an employer who offers one. It is completely discretionary. Some employers may offer a match program. Others may not. If you're thinking about transferring positions or going to work in another setting, that is something you want to ask the HR professional or look it up in your employer handbook for your new employee, your new employee handbook benefits. You'll see very clearly by looking for something called the match program in the retirement sponsor program. Another reason why SLPs fall behind when saving for retirement is by starting too late. So sometimes when you're young, you feel like you're going to live forever and maybe you can live in the day and spend some money and say, oh, I'll start saving for retirement next year or the year after. Well, when you start saving for retirement too late, you miss out on the magic of something called compound interest. So to help illustrate the power of compounding interest, I want you to think about two different SLPs. The first SLP is going to invest $3,000 for 10 years from when she's 21 to age 30. And the second SLP is going to delay saving for retirement till she's 31. And she's going to save the same amount, $3,000, until she's age 70. So SLP one is going to save for 10 years from age 21 to age 30. And the second SLP is going to save the same amount, $3,000, for 40 years from age 31 to age 70. Now, let's say both SLPs are investing into the same exact investment portfolio that returns an average of 8% annually into the account. So what happens? By the time both SLPs reach age 70, who do you think is going to have more money? SLP1, who invested $3,000 for 10 years, or SLP2, who invested $3,000 for 40 years but started 10 years after SLP1? 
Well, the answer is SLP-1. SLP-1 is going to have more money. She's going to have approximately $1,020,000, while SLP-2 is going to have $840,000 when they're both age 70. Again, the reason why SLP-1 has more money is because she started saving earlier and took advantage of compound interest. The best way that I can visually explain compounding interest is think about current events right now while you're listening to this podcast, the COVID-19 epidemic is still going on. Think about when if you look on the news or if you look online and you see those hockey stick growth charts and the all of a sudden rapidness back in March and April about the increase in coronavirus cases, that's compounding interest. You don't really notice the savings and you don't notice it in the beginning as much, just like your savings account. You start saving for one month, six months, one year, two years. It doesn't really start to snowball until you get into the 20 and 30th years of savings. By starting earlier, you take advantage of the compound interest. And again, in this example, someone saved for only 10 years compared to someone else who saved for 40 years, but they started saving earlier. They started saving when they were 21, right as they finished their undergrad. Maybe they got a part-time job while they were earning their C's, getting their master's degree, and they were able to put money away. So really important to try and take advantage of compounding interest and by saving for your goals as early as you can. Similarly, another reason why SLPs fall behind is by not paying attention to the fees associated with investments or investment accounts. So it may not seem like a big deal, but fees truly add up over time. Sometimes you can control the fees and sometimes you can't. When you do have the ability to control costs and fees, it is so important that you do it because it can add up to thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars of money that is lost over your investment lifetime. In this example, one way to try and control costs is by looking at, at something called an expense ratio. If you're investing in investment vehicles like mutual funds, electronically traded funds like ETFs. Now, if you're saving into your employer-sponsored plan, like a 401k or 403b, the employer, the hospital system, the school district sets the fund lineup for you. But you can see by looking at a 404A5 statement, you'll have an annual disclosure that's given to you as an employee of the company that says the full fund lineup of everything available to you. And when you look at that fund lineup, you'll look for a column called the expense ratio. It doesn't mean that the least expensive funds perform the best. You also want to look at historical performance and align it with your own specific financial goals of what you're looking to accomplish, right? We talked earlier about what rate of return is important for you to reach your goal. Maybe you need to be earning a 2% rate of return, a 5% rate of return. But the most important part is expense ratio because if there's mutual fund A and mutual fund B are both trying to accomplish the same goal of returning 7% annually on the investment. If you have mutual fund A and that has an expense ratio of 0.01%, so one basis point, a very small low expense ratio, and mutual fund B has a 2.01 expense ratio, so 201 basis points, that's two percentage points more of expense to operate the fund that is performing the same as mutual fund A. So what does that mean in dollars and cents? It means that if mutual fund A and B, both return 7% over a 10-year period. If you start today investing with $10,000, what those expense ratios mean is that in 10 years from now, mutual fund A will have a balance of $19,700, 
and option B will have a balance of $16,300. So right there is a difference of $3,400 in the account just because you chose option A over option B. So you might be thinking, well, $3,400 maybe isn't a big deal. Let's take that investment out another 10 years. So you invest 10,000 today, 20 years from now, if you invest in option A with the 0.01 expense ratio, that means you're gonna have a balance of $38,700, whereas option B will have a total balance of $26,500. So now there's a spread or difference in those two accounts of $12,200. So over time, you may, like we talked earlier about saving and the compounding interest, well, this is still compounding interest, but this is costs associated to your investing. If we take this out for another 10 years, so 30 years from now, let's say you're an SLP who wants to retire 30 years from today and you start with $10,000 saving into option A that has the lower expense ratio, option B with the greater expense ratio. You're going to have $76,100 in option A with the low expense ratio, option B $43,200 with the higher expense ratio. That spread has now grown to thirty-three, almost $33,000, $32,900. Pretty remarkable that by investing in two funds that have the same objective and goal, just the costs alone have caused you to have almost $33,000 less of money. And then if I take this out 10 more years, Option A will have a balance of $149,700 by, again, investing $10,000 today, earning 7% over a 40-year period. Option B, with a with a two percentage point cost, what that means is the $10,000 will only grow to $70,400, a difference of almost $80,000 just by the investment choice you picked. The bottom line, know the data and details behind what you're investing and what the expense ratio or the cost to operate that fund. Another reason why I believe SLPs fall behind is by taking a hands-off approach and just assuming that they will reach their financial goals. And so historically, let's say you were invested in an account or a mutual fund that had a 2% expense ratio. That wasn't uncommon 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because that's what things cost. But think about the evolution of technology and what's gone on in the world. The cost to invest into the market, stock market, bond market, any vehicle in which you can grow your wealth, those costs are coming down over time. And so you should be reviewing your portfolio to know what's going on with the investments. Another important financial topic is something called rebalancing your portfolio. And you should be doing this at least once, if not twice a year or quarterly or four times a year. And essentially what rebalancing a portfolio is, that gets you back to the original asset allocation for the desired investment. So if you start investing into an account with an asset allocation being 70% stock and 30% bonds, over time, that's going to change because if stocks go up and the price of bonds go down, that means your portfolio is going to become more weighted towards stocks. And why that's a bad thing is because your original intent for the portfolio was to be 70% stock and 30% bond. So all of a sudden, if it becomes more stock-based, maybe you're taking more risk than you wanted to originally, vice versa. If stocks go down and bonds go up, maybe your account's becoming too conservative for what you wanted. So... By taking a hands-off approach, you're really missing out and essentially could be falling asleep at the wheel per se, not knowing 
what's happening to your account and having it transform into something you didn't set out for once you set up the account. Another problem that I see is people dipping into their retirement accounts too early. So remember, when you're saving for retirement into an account that is a tax advantage retirement account like a 401k, there are restrictions on when you can access that money. It is designated for the financial goal of retirement. So for instance, if you wanted to take money out for a vacation and you're 45 years old, you'll have to pay a 10% penalty because you're not able to access that money until you're aged 59 and a half. So it's important to know when you sign up for a certain type of account or product that you understand if you will be impacted by fees or early withdrawal penalties because it will cost you unnecessarily if you don't know that those fees are there. There's advantages for saving in certain types of accounts as long as you play by the rules of those accounts. That brings us to our last topic on why I think SLPs fall behind on savings. And it's just that they don't have a sense of overall tax planning and understanding the tax implications on what you need to do to minimize the tax bite and not pay excessively what you don't have to. Reminder, I'm not a CPA, I'm not an accountant, but it is very important that you have these tax planning conversations with your accountant. The only thing that I will mention regarding tax planning to minimize taxes in retirement on today's show is you need to be conscious of, for tax purposes, the three types of retirement accounts that exist because each type of account treats taxes differently. Let's talk about tax deferred accounts. That's the 401k, your IRA, if you're saving money on your own. That money goes in pre-tax, but it comes out post-tax. So the benefit is that you recognize a savings immediately in the current tax year, but all of those taxes, in addition to the benefits of compound interest, you have compounding taxes going on in there too because on the way out, when you take a distribution from a 401k, that money's taxed at ordinary income. So you just need to be aware that there is a tax burden due in, at some point in the future. And that's why you can strategize on how to minimize the tax impact to you. The second type of retirement account that you can save into is something that grows tax-free. So the money goes in post-tax and goes out without being taxed. An example of that would be something called a Roth IRA, or if your employer allows you to contribute to a Roth 401k. And again, you're paying tax up front, but all of that money is growing tax-free. The last one is a taxable investment account, and that might just be something like a brokerage account where you're investing money. It goes in post-tax, but you do have to pay capital gains and dividends if you earn dividends on that tax and pay tax annually. So those are the three different types, but how you allocate that money from a tax perspective can potentially save you a lot of money later on. And this isn't necessarily a set it and forget it, a one-time type of decision like, oh, I'm going to max out my 401k this year and oh, I'm going to put all my money into a Roth IRA if I'm eligible. Again, this is something that you can review annually. If you're in a year where your household income is much lower than usual, perhaps a year where, where you're pregnant and, or a temporary job loss, something like you might have experienced this year, you may want to consider engaging in proactive tax planning. So, some of your retirement incomes will be taxed, but there are ways to limit that over time. So to trim your tax bill in retirement, you might consider a few of these options. Like one, putting money into a Roth IRA. 
There are certain rules and regulations on the amounts of income you can earn in order to put money directly into an IRA. I'm sorry, a Roth IRA. But there are ways to still get money into the Roth IRA. There's a planning technique called a backdoor Roth IRA in which you convert money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. So you do pay money when you make the conversion. But remember, once the money's in the Roth IRA, it's going to grow tax-free. So it may make sense for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier, a drop in reduction in income to recognize some more income by doing this type of conversion. Also, when you do reach retirement, it's important to manage your accounts and the withdrawals and where you're taking money from. If you have a year where you're in a lower tax bracket, you should consider withdrawing money from a taxable account, such as your traditional IRA or a 401k. If you're earning more income or you have a higher tax bracket year, maybe you sold some real estate or you had a consulting project, you just have a higher level income, you should consider taking cash out of your Roth IRA because you're in the higher tax bracket. So you're not taking money on, you're not paying tax on money that comes out of the Roth IRA as a withdrawal. So it's a way to avoid paying a higher tax bill by doing that in a higher tax year. Additionally, remember as stocks appreciate, there is something called the capital gain that must be recognized and realized once you sell the stock. So if you have stocks that appreciate over time, you may want to wait on selling those investments until your tax rate is lower. Because again, based on tax brackets and capital gains rates, you'll be forced to pay tax on those amounts. So it's important to know where your distributions are coming from and how you can stretch it out. The final thing that I will mention today, so those are all the reasons why I think SLPs fall behind. I do think it's important to specify one last reason. If you do feel that you are falling behind in retirement, maybe you're in your later working years and you feel that you need to supercharge your savings and put a lot of money away over a short period of time, there is a type of retirement account called a defined benefit plan. So most SLPs are familiar with things called defined contribution plans. The 401k is perhaps the most synonymous with the defined contribution plan, right? It's a plan where you receive tax deferral and you can put a percentage of your income into that account, but the employer isn't funding the retirement. What happens in a defined benefit plan, this is what was around predominantly in America 30, 40 plus years ago, where a defined benefit plan provides a monthly retirement benefit to employees based on earnings history, tenure of service, and age. And it was fully funded by the employer. So if you are a private practitioner, a defined benefit plan, more specifically something called a cash balance plan, is something that you may want to consider because it's a way to put away tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars annually towards retirement. When we talked about that formula towards the beginning of the episode and we talked about how much you need to save, how long you need to save it for, what rate of return you need to save it for, that number will produce the dollar amount and hopefully the goal in which you aspire to. Now, the one thing we can't control is time, right? So if you plan on retiring in five years, six years from now, and you feel that you are behind, know that there are strategies and there are techniques on how to put a lot of money away. And that is one of the benefits of being a private practitioner. I mentioned earlier, if you work for an employer, it's great because they give you a defined contribution plan like a 401k in which you can save for retirement. However, you don't get to pick the investment options. You don't get to have a say in how the program operates. 
as a private practitioner, you dictate the terms of the retirement plan for you if you're a sole practitioner, for you and your employees if you have employees. If it makes sense for you to increase your savings, you can institute a defined benefit plan. You can have a defined contribution plan. You can even have other types of investments, something called a fully insured plan that would allow you to put away money to essentially guarantee a certain level of income in retirement. That's what the defined benefit plan does. It gives you the ability to specify what your income goal is in retirement and therefore save the money appropriately into that type of account. So as loyal listeners of the SLP Money Podcast know, we're all about taking action here on the show. And so I want to leave you with three final thoughts and three action items that if you feel like you're falling behind on retirement savings or you want to get more organized with your retirement savings, here are three things that you can do today to get back on track or help propel forward to reach your goal of retirement. Number one, Think back to that equation that I talked about at the beginning of the episode. Your goal will be to retire someday, so you have to generate retirement income. Retirement income is equal to three things. Your fixed income sources, plus your variable income, plus your other income. To determine your fixed income level, again, it'll be Social Security. So head on over to ssa.gov backslash estimator. That's a great way to see what you've contributed so far to Social Security, and they'll give you an estimate if you retired age 62, age 66, age 70, how much you can expect to earn monthly from your Social Security check. Fixed income is also comprised of pensions. If you or your spouse are going to earn a pension, get a guide as to how to determine what your pension options are. Don't wait until retirement to decide, I'm going to choose option one, option two, option three. That requires planning and you should know what option you're going to take in retirement. Before you get to retirement, consider if you plan to work or work part-time in retirement or know if you'll have other income. And then lastly, to help figure out that variable income portion, once you know those two, you'll know maybe your variable income bucket doesn't need to be as large as you were expecting. So you'll know based on those other two sources how big you need to save into a 401k, a 403b, or an IRA to comprise your variable income. So again, those three components, sit down, think about your fixed income sources, your other income sources, and your variable income sources. Action item number two, prioritizing your financial goals. Perhaps retirement is not your number one financial goal. Perhaps it's building your forever home and you want to allocate a lot of resources towards that. Or maybe it's going and continuing to travel the world. It's an individual situation, but you need to know and prioritize what is most important. If you do set that goal, you'll know where retirement falls on that list of priorities. If it's towards the top and maybe you want to retire in 10 years or 15 years, well, then you go to that second equation that we talked about to help figure out how big your variable income bucket needs to be. And that's how much you're willing to save annually for retirement times the amount of years you want to save for retirement times the desired rate of return. And so Once you figure that out, you'll know how big your bucket of money will be. And again, to put it into an income amount, you multiply the amount of variable income you want from, let's say, your 401k contributions and multiply that by 25. So if I want to live on $40,000 of retirement variable income, I multiply 40,000 by 25 and that will give me a $1 million goal for retirement income. 
So I need to grow money between my 401k, my IRA, my other savings accounts, my spouse's retirement accounts to $1 million. Once it's there, you'll be able to generate that $40,000 annually. And then third and finally, I would tell you to look at the funds in which your retirement accounts are invested. If you work for an employer, you'll be able to see that in a document called the 404A5. It's an annual disclosure that's given to every participant in a 401k or a 403b. And there very explicitly, it will say what the expenses are of those funds. So remember the difference when we talked about someone investing in an account earning 7% with an expense ratio of 0.01% versus an expense ratio of 2.01%. Over a 40-year investing period, the person with the higher expenses had half, I'm sorry, less than half the amount of money than the person who invested in something with 0.01. So remember, expenses are not the only measure of the success of an investment, but, but if everything else is equal, if performance is equal, you want to pick an investment where the expenses, or you just want to know what the expenses are because there is that compounding effect on the cost of an investment. So again, if you work for someone that's called the 404A5 disclosure, if you're investing on your own or you work with a financial professional, ask them what the fees are in their investment accounts and the portfolio. They'll be able to show you that. You can see the expense ratios. You're also able to go and do this research on your own. You can go to a website like Morningstar.com, type in the ticker symbol of the mutual fund or the ETF, and after doing a little digging, you'll be able to see the expense ratios, the historical performance, the risk levels associated with these different type of funds. So be aware of where your costs are going and what you are spending on to invest for retirement. Thank you so much for listening today. For all show notes and references to today's episode, please head on over to utterlyfinancial.com's forward slash 10. Again, that's utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 10. And we hope to catch you on the next episode of SLP Money. You've been listening to SLP Money hosted by Craig Goldslager. Want even more ideas on how to make smart financial decisions? Head on over to the Learning Center at utterlyfinancial.com, where you'll find more information for SLPs and private practice owners. While there, you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with Craig. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help more people discover SLP money. Thanks so much for listening. Materials discussed is for general and informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investing advice. While the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations may vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual and professional advice. Craig Goldsteiger is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 2 South Biscayne Boulevard, Suite 1740, Miami, Florida, 33131, 305-371-6333. Securities, products, and financial services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Utterly Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Craig Goldsteiger does not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to speech-language pathologists and private practice professionals. 
California insurance license 0K78754. Expiration 2020-1030-87-06-2022.